All right, well, welcome to the three of you. Welcome to anybody listening. This is the Rooted Leadership Podcast. We're downtown in beautiful Salem, Oregon. It's a rainy day today, looks like. Cold, but that's okay. Uh, as as any of the listeners know, we've been you know doing this show for a couple of years now. Um, it's connected to our Leadership Institute, which all of you participated in, which is really fun. You know, we have lots of guests on the show, but today we have alumni, and that's going to be really fun to get into to that in a minute. But but we started Leadership Institute a few years ago, and the idea was to raise the tide of leaders in our community. Our vision is to be a catalyst for transformational change. So anything that has to do with transformational change, which we define as fundamental shifts in how we think, how we see, or how we befit, behave, behave, what I say, behave, um, that's what we're interested in. And we're trying to create those sort of conditions in the space for people to to do that, to think differently, see differently, behave differently in ways that are going to be beneficial to them, their organizations, and the community. So that's what we're all about. Uh, I am uh, always excited to to do these, and extra excited when there are people that I'm particularly close to. Um, we have lots of guests that we've had on the show, some that I've met for the first time when I'm doing the show. So I don't have that pre-existing relationship. This is this is a joy though, um, because all of you uh, are are dear to my heart. Uh, so I'll, for anybody watching or listening, I'll introduce each of you, but I'll let you you uh, add more texture to that. I'll start here, Tamara. Tamara, you just changed roles, and I already forgot what you told me. Director of Business Services, services uh, for the county. And I, I'll tell you, I first met Tamara pretty early on when I was here, mm-hmm. right when I first moved up here. So it's been a few years. Um, but my first experience working with you was on the Children and Families Commission which was just amazing, especially to see your leadership of a vision of what that commission could do together. And then to see that it started to happen. And then I come to find out that it's never, it's like hasn't, people weren't doing that together in the ways they were doing it for a very long time. People were kind of shedding down barriers and they were just coming together in really amazing ways. So that was really fun to be part of that process with you. And of course you went through groundwork last year and I believe I, I believe I nominated you because I was like, Tamara's got to be in this thing. Um, and so that's Tamara. Rhonda over here, uh, principal at CTech. CTech is a career technical education center in the community, partnered with all of our high schools. They have amazing programs, and um, I'm sure you're really good at giving the spiel on that. So I'll let you do that in a second. But, but, uh, I think I first, I can't remember when I first met you. It probably was some sort of outward mindset training. Oh, it was Leadership Salem. Yeah, we went through Leadership Salem. Yes, that was fun. Yeah, Zach, yeah, Zach was in there. A few others that we that are in the Groundwork family now. Um, and I've always been impressed with you. Uh, I know that we connected. You're much more well-versed in the world of martial arts than I am, but I, I did have a little bit of background in boxing, kickboxing, so it was fun to get to know you that way. Uh, and to just always have the knowledge that Rhonda can beat me up is always a fun thing. And don't um, you forget it. Yeah, don't you ever forget it. Uh, so it was great getting getting to know you um, through that. And then obviously participating in Groundwork last year just deepens these relationships. And Anthony, Anthony's been on our show before. Uh, dear friend, I first met you. You were sitting right there when you interviewed for Groundwork. Right. And we walked out of that meeting and I was like, okay, that guy's in. Uh, because I remember it was so apparent that Anthony, from the business industry, so you're not typically... You weren't immersed in the community like some of our nonprofit or government leaders, but he had this strong desire to, I want to be involved and give back to this community. And I, I've been looking and searching for a way to do that, and I feel like Groundwork is a way to do that. And it was just, he, you had me at hello. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, but ever since, Anthony and I have become uh, pretty, pretty great friends. I call him multiple times a week, and we're working on other projects together. And so uh, it's just a blessing to know you. So I'm, I'm really glad that you you interviewed and, and participated in Groundwork because we developed quite the friendship. So that is my introduction of our guests today. Uh, love all of them dearly, but is there anything I missed? I mean, what else would you like to share, Tamara and Rhonda and Anthony? And then we'll get into our topic. Um, this is Tamara, and I think part of my most important role in this community is being a mom of two boys. They're grown, but they're still my kids and will always be. And uh, just 
I have had great fortune and have been blessed immensely by the people in my life. Um, and being able to work in an environment, an employer, Marion County, for over 30 years that has just given me so many opportunity, and I've met great people, I've grown there, I've had pains there, I, you know, and I've had opportunities to participate in things like groundwork. So um, I'm just really happy to be here. Awesome. Thank you. Rhonda? I think for me, in my sixth year as the principal at CTEC, um, it's really immersed me in our community in a way that I wasn't um, as an educator in other more traditional spaces. So as an educator, I always knew that I cared about children. I had no idea how deeply our community cares and the things that they're willing to do and how our business and industry are willing to come to the table and contribute. So what I love about being at CTEC is we get the chance to create results for young people that no one has ever created anywhere before through powerful partnerships. It's, and it's all relational. It's all through powerful partnerships with industry and education. And what, what's so inspiring to me is to create results nobody's ever created before. You have to do things nobody's ever done before. Uh, they either haven't been connected enough, haven't had enough relationships, or just haven't been brave enough to try things that may or may not work uh, until you find something that really transforms and changes the whole trajectory of a young person's life. Uh, so being the principal at CTEC is more than just a high school principal role for me. It really is the chance to do something that no one's ever done in education before. Thank you. Anthony. I... I've actually talked to Rhonda about this before, specifically with C-Tech. So I'm in the motorsports industry. I didn't even introduce and what you do for work. I was just talking about. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> but yes, Anthony is a VP in an auto automotive uh, group. So Yep, we, we do uh, Harley Davidsons and dirt bikes and side-by-sides and soon vehicles. And I was talking to Rhonda about auto body because of C-Tech. And that is, uh, I mean, giving young people those opportunities is such a big deal. I love that about our community. And I, the only thing I guess I'll add to our discussion so far is one of the great things about groundwork is that it's something that every community needs. Cause I don't think I would have had the chance to talk to Rhonda about auto body programs for young people in Salem and how we might be able to, as a motorcycle store, be able to help with career opportunities. Has it come to fruition yet? No, because I've just been in this role a couple months and I'm just getting my feet wet. But it will eventually, right? And those connections, you make them now in six to eight months, 12 months, things start to happen. And groundwork is awesome at that, among many other things. So a quick tangent, though, you, you said uh, um, uh, every community needs something like this. What's different about groundwork than other, you know, similar institutes? I mean, Rhonda and I first met in Leadership Salem, right, which was awesome. But groundwork is very different than that. Um, what's been different about, and you mentioned too, you get to participate in things like a groundwork. So there's been other things you've all been involved with. What's been different about your participation in groundwork that makes it special? That's a, that's a good question. I think it's two things if I had to narrow it down. One of them is long-term commitment, right? A lot of the trainings that leaders like us go to in our lives, they're typically weekend seminars or four hour seminars or a retreat, like it's not, there's no longevity to it. You show up, it's high impact, it's exciting. Then you go back to work and you go right back to your old habits. So long-term commitments one. I think the other big thing is groundwork gives you tools to attack the day-to-day -day stuff. So when you do, cause we do have a retreat, it's a three day retreat. But after that, as you're learning through, as you're learning the material, both at the retreat and through the rest of the year, you can apply what you learn in day-to-day -day situations. I think that's probably the biggest difference because sometimes you learn something really cool about taking it to the next level or it's only one degree hotter to boil water. Like that's great, but how is that gonna help me with this employee that's struggling? <laughs> you know, There's some things you can apply, but Groundwork gives you fundamental tools to address real life situations. Much more than networking, yeah. Yes. Can I add on to please, that? Please. So the thing, I think the piece that just to build on to what you were saying, Anthony, is it not only does that as an employer-employee situation, it's bringing out the best and the worst of the person, right? So it helps us look at ourselves and really understand where we have our greatest strengths, 
where are our greatest weaknesses so that we can then apply the methods, the knowledge, and the tools in our own lives personally and professionally. So it's not about building the best employee. It's not about building the best mom. It's really about building the best person so that they can do the best them as well as participate actively in the community, at work, at play, be present. because you get to see, you're, you're forced to see. Because if you're open enough, you're forced to look at yourself in ways that we don't typically want to look. And so to me, that's why I think it's so transformational. Yeah. Yeah, change. Uh, who told this to me recently? But I can't remember who it was. I feel like it was an alumni, though. It was. It was an alumni. Allison. uh Alumni to Ground, where Allison Kelly with Liberty House, she said, she was telling me the other day that, tr- you know, transformation just can't happen without a mirror. Oh, that's good. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I would say for groundwork for me, um, a couple of things that stand out are the depth of connection that you make with other people. And I think it's because the connections are made around the framework. So now we're talking a common language. To learn the framework, we have to share our leadership challenges and problems of practice with each other. And so then you become invested in each other's challenges. So, you know, when I'm partnered with someone and I talk to them about the challenge th- challenges they're facing, now I want to follow up. I want to hear how that turned out. I care about their work and their project. They're excited about my work and my project. Um, so the framework gives us a common language, but then it also gives us uh, this depth of connection as you share challenges and help each other with them. And then the community problems of practice Similarly, you're tackling something really difficult together. So the relationship is built upon that common, you know, struggle or triumph or challenge or whatever it is. So it gives you something just really real to connect around and then a common set of language to speak. So I think the depth of connection is just stronger than other things that I've had an opportunity to participate in. Yeah. And Rhonda, if you if you could expound a little bit on your community problem of practice. And so for people that don't know, um, we do these community problems of practice, we call them. And we essentially identify a a handful of really chronic issues in our community um, that are not a quick fix. So what we focus on uh, are, you know, homelessness, mental health, city livability, and developing the future workforce. And then every year when people join the Institute, they select which group, which problem of practice they want to have without the expectation they have to solve it, um, but with the expectation that you apply the framework to that throughout the whole year and you determine what that means for you and your group. So there's no expectation to do anything, but what's amazing is that leaders, they they do that. And so, uh, so share with us what you were a part of and what it's led to, because... Um, I just got a bit of a report the other day on, I saw the layout. Oh, isn't it cool? Yeah. So please yeah. tell, tell people, cause it's really cool of what, what can happen when you come together like this. Sure. Well, initially, um, I thought, you know, Chris really screwed up and should have assigned me to the workforce <laughs> development group because I am the principal at CTEC and I am in the business of workforce development. And he erroneously assigned me to the, to the group working on mental health where I just don't have as much value to add. And, and so I thought that I was misassigned because I wanted to add value and I didn't have expertise in mental health. And so, um, but I had this great group of teammates and I had the chance to uh, partner with people in our community, go on field trips and learn so much about mental health. And then our group sat down and we thought, well, what can we each as individuals do? And I'm really only good at one thing, guys. Um, And that's building really, really powerful CTE (laughs) programs. That's that's not true. That's a lie. Um, You know, the thing that I I do well is build really powerful CTE programs, and we build them around industry need and student interest and trying to launch students into careers. And there's no greater workforce shortage facing our community that has a bigger impact on our community than that in the area of behavioral health or mental health. And so in getting the chance to get a front row seat to all of that and make all these connections, we've been able to leverage those to the point where we are opening a behavioral health and human services CTE program inside of CTEC next year 
No one's ever done that anywhere. There are high schools with health services programs. I've traveled around the country. I've seen them. But not one is dedicated to mental or behavioral health. And yet it is the single biggest workforce shortage impacting our community. And now we have this opportunity to be first, to build it, to build it right, to build it powerfully with our whole community behind it, with these connections and powerful partnerships. And hopefully other schools in our state and other schools in our country um, can see that we've paved this path, follow in our footsteps, and we can can help everyone just be stronger. So we're really excited. The space design's amazing. Our industry partners helped us lay the space out. We're really excited. Um, we're looking to open that this fall. Wow. I didn't realize that that germinated out of groundwork. I was just yeah. at a tour. Like, right. Right, week and a half ago, mm -hmm. and saw the space. It does look amazing. <clears throat> yeah, the the program is going to be incredible. We're really, really excited. Um, but the, some of the connections that we've leveraged for the design of the space were connections that I had the opportunity to make as we were working on our problem of practice. So uh, sometimes things work out. Sometimes Chris's mistakes work out yeah. just fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, talk about catalyzing transformational change. That's a transformational change, um, and I'm not saying that it was from my mistake. It's just from the 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 simple methodologies that we try to apply in groundwork. We we love when that happens because that's the whole the whole point. So, um, and I know we're getting into the <coughs> excuse me the programming of groundwork. Um, that's sort of connected to what the topic I wanted to get in today. Which, by the way, anybody watching or listening, if you want groundwork in your community, like Anthony said, it can happen. Absolutely. With one price of no, Stephen. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, no, hit, hit uh, you know, connect, connect with us. We're we're trying to expand other communities for sure. But one piece of our program is when we meet monthly, we have different speakers and and some of them are alumni, and we always we have a few times throughout the year we have a panel. All of you, as you know, are going to be our panel tomorrow. We're missing Terry, so. Another uh, uh, alumni, he couldn't be here today. Terry is a former chief of police and does a lot of leadership training at the academy right now. And we do these panels to allow this year's cohort, the current year's cohort, to <clears throat> learn from previous alum alumni about a certain topic for you to share stories with them, to be vulnerable, um, to help them res relate to you, right? One of the... the um, the organic outcomes of groundwork is the sense of vulnerability and, and depth of community that you've all spoken to. And so as a panelist, you get to be that conduit to helping people connect, um, not just with you, but with humanity and with, with our community. And it's just an, it's an amazing thing. So that's why, that's why we're holding today. And I wanted to kind of plant the seed of the topic tomorrow that you've all been preparing for in some way or the other. Um, tomorrow we're talking about followership, right? Um, which is very sort of, it's an academic term um, in the leadership world, right? What is followership? We're gonna, so we're talking about that tomorrow, and we're talking about team leadership. So as a, as a baseline, followership is essentially when people uh, are choosing to follow something that is influencing them, whether it's you know, usually a person or a thing, that's, they're choosing to follow that thing. So that's followership. How do you get people to to do that and what's what is it like to look at leadership on the other side of to know how to lead you have to understand why people follow why they want to follow and so on so that's an interesting interesting thing to to consider and then team leadership um as as we're familiar with is it's a group of people that are interdependent in one another they can't get their job done without each other and they need to rely on one another so followership and team leadership are connected i thought of each of you <clears throat> because i felt like off the cuff you have plenty of experience with both of those things, working with teams, um, getting people to come along, um, and I wanted to learn learn from from each of you and have you share with our with our group. So, just planting the seed of what what is your initial reactions and thoughts when you hear followership, <clears throat> or when you hear team leadership? What comes to mind? What have you been thinking about? Did you want to go for it, Anthony? Ladies first. <laughs> you know, it's tricky. You know, it's, you want it, you desire it, but you sometimes are so far off uh, the mark. Um, 
because of uh, things that you may make of a you you misstep. Um, you have good examples. You have people who can mentor you. You have good experiences um, that you make decent choices. But it all boils down to: is it about me or about us collectively, the people that you're working with? Um, followership. I can I could have a checklist. And if the checklist tells me to do all the things and I get all those things done, yet I don't express my concern, my care, my, my uh, give direction or lead, you know, provide leadership on how it, we can do this together or to listen, they're not, I'm not leading. All I'm doing is checking off the boxes. I, anybody reasonably can check off boxes. Being uh, in a leadership role really takes someone who is willing to be vulnerable, humble, open to other ideas, uh, willing to, to go to bat when things need to be dealt with. Um, sometimes it's dealing with really cruddy things um, for the team. Uh, so that others can soar. And there's just, there is a formula, yeah. and it's, but it's not one formula. The formula ultimately has, to, the foundation of that formula is people and really caring about them. When I'm not going to change for anybody who I don't think cares about me. Yeah. Period. <laughs> I'm just not going to. Yeah. I ultimately, and at least that's been my experience. Yeah. I can do little things, but I'm not going to mm-hmm. want to change. Yeah, and maybe we can. We'll take this one at a time. Followership first, right? Because that's what I'm hearing a lot of what you're saying, and and what I thought of when you were talking about just what you said and a couple other comments you made was, you know, when you break, you can break followership down, and there's there's a role based followership where, well, you're the boss, and I'm. I'm the subordinate, so therefore I must follow what you say, right? That's that's the hierarchical sort of role-based followership, but that's not what we're really getting at. That's certainly a form, but the power behind followership and understanding it is the relational-based, right? That I choose to follow you because you see me and treat me as an equal, and and I you're I want to come along with you. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I heard in your last comment. Yeah, it's um, it it can be a super easy journey when I, especially for me, if I see somebody that we have like like values, it's super easy to go there with some people, right? And then there's other people that I get in the box with, right? I just like. Ugh. Okay, I got to really think about how I'm going to process this, how I'm going to, you know, I I almost have to put an artificial hood of understanding on it. But really, all I have to do is be curious about what they need to be successful. Yeah. Rhonda, how do you see this dynamic? Because you're in a very, um, you're in the world of education, which is very much, there's a hierarchy. And uh, it's it's a it's a hierarchy that everybody knows about. It's respected. If you have a certain title, then you know it means a, you know there's a meaning to it. So how do you navigate that? Because there's certainly that role based followership, but what about that? So this relational based. How do you navigate it? Sure. Well, I was as I was hearing the two of you talk about it. I think you know I think positional authority can get you compliance, um, and compliance isn't going to change anybody's life, right? Compliance is not going to be transformational. What you really need is the buy-in, the investment, the inspiration. Um, I think as a leader, keeping the mission and the vision, the values at the forefront all the time, because the day-to-day, the hectic stuff, the stuff sometimes you want to shield your teams from, can get in the way of the mission and vision. It's like, um, you know, too many bugs on your windshield can keep you from seeing the mission and vision. And so keeping that in the forefront of people's minds. And, well, education can be tricky because there are titles and hierarchies. 
What's almost a cheat code, though, is every single person on my team at some point, they entered the field, they walked through the door because they did care about young people. They did want to improve their lives. No one said, I'm going to go into education because I hate children. That's there's, never there's happened. A moral, there's right. a moral connection yeah. versus... So, other Even when someone right. seems really different from me, it's like, I know why you're here. You're here because you want this and I want this. So how can we keep the mission and the vision clear in people's minds? And what happens when the daily work gets hard is people will lose sight of the mission or vision. I always see that as my job to keep it there. Um, the other thing that happens when people get caught up in in the the day-to-day challenges is They start to believe that constraints exist that are literally not real. You would be surprised how many times people are bound by fears and constraints. Well, we can't do that because of this. And it's like, that thing is not real. That is a tiny piece of yarn tied around the ankle of a lion or an elephant, right? And so really trying to clear that path, I think, is really an important part of leadership. Um, Trying to uh, keep in front of people why we're here. And then the other thing that I think really changes you from compliance to investment or buy-in is I think people, when they join this noble profession, when they come to the table, when they step into the doors at CTEC, they do it because they want to make an impact. And when they believe that they can make a unique contribution to the team, that the team can be better because they, as an, as an individual with their particular skill set, Uh, or talent or passion are on the team, all of a sudden they're all in, right? Because they're like, I'm the person who's bringing this to the table and they're inspired to bring it. They're motivated to do it. They think our whole outcome really is going to be improved by what they have to offer. And that's the difference between investment and inspiration compared to just compliance based on positional authority. Love it. Love it. Anthony? I love that example that you just gave. Um, you know, going back to your question, I've been sitting here thinking about this. I'm going to come back to what you said just here in a second, but I've actually been thinking a lot about followership as it relates to this New York Times article that I saw. And it was really interesting. It basically, the New York Times was basically trying to make some rain over the fact that folks that worked for Fox during Donald Trump's election against Joe Biden, um, Donald, the, the race, the presidential race, Donald Trump versus Joe Biden, basically that the information that Fox commentators were pushing was in direct contradiction to what they were saying offline. And I'm not really interested in the politics of that for any reason, but I am thinking about in terms of followership and leadership because it totally relates to the culture of organizations. And it makes me wonder, do commentators, whatever, whomever they work for, you know, what is your culture like? Like, what is your culture like at those organizations? What makes you compliant to the point that you'll say things that may be misrepresented or untrue? And this is nothing new. Like people have been pushing whatever works for their organization forever because that's their business. Their business is media, right? Like this is not unique to Fox, CNN, New York Times or anyone. Everyone does it for what their audience is, their intended audience. But I've been thinking a lot about that, like the culture that is behind why people do the things that they do. And I feel like that relates a little to what you were talking about, you know, compliance versus are we following people because we really respect them or because we have this internal drive to behave in a certain way. And that's actually what I've been thinking about in response to your question. I know that's a very wide connection of the dots. It's not perfectly linear, but I think that it, uh, I think it pertains a lot to followership or maybe a lack of followership depending on the case study. Well, well, followership is such an interesting concept because, um, you know, there's another perspective on it that is, understanding what people want to follow, right? And I would say that that media are masters at this. They're actually masters at followership because they understand what people are going to follow, right? Right. Um, well, and if I may, and, just to double click on yeah. that, part of the internal discussion at Fox, assuming this reporting was entirely factual and correct, part of the internal discussion at Fox at the time was they were worried that their viewers were going to change the channel 
if they didn't push this narrative yeah. that this election had been stolen. Yeah. And to me, like as a business person, as a VP at a motorsports company, we are like where the rubber meets the road of capitalism. Like when you come in and you want to buy a car or a motorcycle, like I, I'm, I can relate to the situation at Fox because when you have to make live decisions that will affect your business, that's usually when people make bad decisions. It's like, well, we're not going to be totally transparent with this customer about this warranty, which of course we never do because that's bad business. But a lot of people, when the rubber meets the road in capitalism, sorry to interrupt you, but that's what I was thinking of. Like that's, that's when you got to be skeptical of people and what they're trying to sell you. Yeah. No, it's, it's a great example because um, followership uh, you know, there we're fault. We're always following something, right? And uh, you know, good leaders are also good followers, right? But we're following something, and and so the responsibility. That's why I love what you were talking about, Rhonda. Is the responsibility of of a good leader, a transformational leader, is to keep people connected to a bigger purpose and a vision that's worthwhile, right? Um, that's not just to get the clicks or to get the money, but it's worthwhile. Um, and uh, mo removing barriers, bringing people along to where it's no longer Rhonda's vision and people are just following, but it's their vision too and, and we're all following, right? Um, that's the hard part, I think, about taking some a concept like followership and making it transformational because it's happening all around us. And, and when people don't, know who to credit for whatever is put out there as far as if you're trying to do transformational change within an organization uh, and a community when nobody quite knows what the spark was it, you've arrived a little bit you know not you personally but you know I think the situation the change is afoot because everybody knows that Things are happening differently. Things are my responsibility as well as Rhonda and Anthony's. So it's it's everybody's responsibility. And when that transformational change begins to lose its original origin of who gets the credit, I think it's a it's a good day. Yeah, there's a risk to with with followership when it came new to the literature, at least on the academic side, it was Everybody had been studying leadership and what qualities of good leaders are, behaviors of leader, good leaders, skills that good leaders need to have. But then it was like, well, let's actually look at what it means to be a follower. Mm -hmm. And let's learn about leadership from followership, which is really a new way of looking at leadership because you have to understand what does what is it that's going to make Anthony want to follow me, right? Like what what makes people tick? And and so the fine line is you can get so involved in that that you start to jeopardize morals, like your example, right? And you forget the 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 big picture that's worthwhile going after, like what you were mentioning, Rhonda. And so how do we balance that line of understanding people to the degree of if I want to lead these people, this is the sort of this is what I have to do as a leader to get people to follow, but not jeopardizing our morals and not jeopardizing what we stand for because we might be alone out there sometimes. And that's scary to be alone. Well, and I love what Tamar said because some of the best, and I'm taking this back to private industry for a moment, but some of the best companies in the world rally around common values and companies like Apple and Tesla come to mind specifically because you know, they, they, they very much center around why, and people resonate with that. People can relate to that in a way that I think some other companies, they could do it and they don't, and they're still big and strong, but they do not have the type of leadership or followership that those companies have. But I will say the reason I'm thinking or hearkening back to what you just said, the best organizations are the ones where it does not come from one person. I actually think that a significant weakness of companies like Apple and Tesla are Steve Jobs and Elon Musk because it's this one person. That's a You don't want your whole business to be built around one person. What you really want is people at all levels of your group that really espouse the values and you don't really care who's at the top. I mean, that is true success in my mind. And frankly, I think that's why groundwork is so great because it teaches leaders that they have to spend time investing in their people instead of just being the best themselves. They have to make a conscious choice to channel energy from being the best creative or the best, you know, 
coach into being the best. I'm the best at spending time with my people. And that is a really difficult thing for some leaders. <laughs> and I'm no exception. It's not easy when you feel like you have a lot of other things to do to spend an extra five minutes with somebody who comes into your office when you have a laundry list. <laughs> so, yeah. And as you were talking about, you know, how do you keep, we, we always talk about staying rooted in the framework, right? So in terms of staying rooted in your mission or vision, but then also not losing your followership, you, you don't want to lose your people. I, my analogy that I always talk about is, you know, as a leader, if you're driving this bus, then you need to keep the direction aimed at the mission and vision. And to stray off mission and vision to keep followers, um, you don't want to leave that path. You don't want to leave the road. That's that's not a good idea. But you also don't want to um, think you arrived in the bus and you're the only person on it, right? And, and all of your followers, all of your people are gone. So I feel like keeping the bus aimed at the mission and vision and staying on point is is the job, but then the gas and the brake. So you don't change directions. You're going toward the mission, the vision that you've set, what we're all inspired, you know, the thing that we've come here to do. In our case, transforming the future trajectories of young people and and fulfilling workforce shortages. So we have we can't change direction. Um, that would be against our, our values. But if you're starting to lose people, there's a time when you break and you slow down. Yeah. Um, there's a time when people want to slow down. That's not the right time. You got to step on the gas. Um, somebody's got to step on the gas or you're never going to get anywhere. Right. So sometimes you've got to step on the gas, but you also have to know sometimes that you have to step on the brakes a little bit or you're going to get there all by yourself and then you're not really there. Right. So I think keeping the direction on point and then adjusting that pace with the brake and the gas is the way to maintain your followership without straying from your identity and your values. To me, that's how you stay rooted. I love it. Yeah. That's, that's a tough thing for a leader to do that. Truly what you just said is leadership in a nutshell, and that is not an easy challenge. Yeah. Yeah. Jim, uh, Jim Collins talks about it a lot and good to great of mm -hmm. both things that you, you, the two of you were addressing, obviously the bus analogy, getting the right people on the bus. And, and then what you were talking about of there's a level of leaders where there's a genius at the top and then I can't remember what he says in the book, but, you know, a million followers. Um, that's a certain way to lead, right? But that's not one that would lead to, a gr like, the greatness, right? And in some ways, you know, there's some um, unfair examples of Jobs and Musk because their their vision has in invited so many people to to that work for them now to be visionaries themselves. And so it has created some some followers that are also, um, you know, geniuses as, uh, as well. But um, there's this, there's this funny video that I'm going to show tomorrow um, at the beginning of our day. Um, so you, you guys might not be there, but it's, it's this funny video I found online and maybe, maybe you've seen it, but it's just this guy dancing. It's like this outdoor concert. Mm -hmm. You've seen I've this? I've seen it. Yes. Everybody's sitting around. I love around. how you immediately you knew what it was. Yep. Okay. So <laughs> people are just sitting around at this outdoor concert and there's this guy shirtless, <clears throat> excuse me, you know, just dancing like a goof goofball to the music, just, you know, going at it and just all by himself. Everybody's just staring. And uh, and the commentator of this is talking about leadership. And he said, like, here's sometimes this is what it feels like as a leader. Like you have to be out there doing this thing and you're hoping people are, are going to follow. But, you, you know, if take that risk to be alone out there. We talk a lot about being alone and on an island sometimes as leaders. And then. It wasn't too long after, you know, maybe 30 seconds in, another guy comes up and starts dancing. But immediately the initial guy that was dancing, like, welcomes him and, like, equally gives him the floor, you know. So he acknowledges and is, like, letting him participate and treats him as an equal immediately. And uh, and then and the third comes up. And then eventually there's a whole people, a whole group out there dancing where now the people that are sitting down, they feel obligated. If I don't get up, I'm now the odd one out. Right. And uh, it's a funny example, but it's, it's an example of, of followership and leadership to me. Right. Um, where I think they called that early adopters. Yeah. The early adopters. Right. <laughs> yes. But he's out there dancing and this guy comes out, he treats him as an equal. And then people see that it's safe that I can go out there and do that. More people do it. I feel safe that I can go out and dance. And now you have a whole group of people on the on this hillside dancing. It's a funny video, but uh, there's some interesting lessons there um, in terms of leadership and followership, where 
as soon as we help people see that they're just as important as I am, if I'm the leader um, in this, like what you were mentioning, um, we create this safety and others want to follow, others want to be a part of it. No longer is about who's getting the credit, like what you said. And that's a beautiful thing when it happens in in the communities or the the the, the organizational world or even our own families. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to nominate Tamara to do that at our next alumni event. You just start dancing. <laughs> tomorrow, you don't we'll know what you're down. asking for. <laughs> tomorrow, uh, tomorrow, we'll just oh, start there, the, there you uh, go. the panel. Just, there you go. We'll just put on some music. Right. And, yeah. <laughs> I know you've got it on your phone. <laughs> Uh, what you you guys side note here you missed an epic dance off at the retreat oh, man. we had karaoke night <laughs> on uh, Friday and uh, there was karaoke and there was uh, a dance off and it was hilarious so you showed us a really heavy documentary about genocide and you gave them a karaoke party dance off <laughs> is that what you're that. saying they still watch that okay. a little bitter a little I'm just clarifying that was the night before okay yeah, they still watch that but, uh yeah, that was fun. That was fun. Um, well, um, just I want to keep us moving because I want to get a little bit into team leadership as well. Um, they're connected, but also different concepts, but connected enough that we categorize them into one. And I've been fascinated with teams and team leadership for the last couple of years um, by default working um, with with other people um, on groundwork. Um, studying it uh, in my PhD about the organizational world, and I was just really fascinated with teams and how they work. And something really clear came to mind for me, and I'll plant this as a way to start the conversation, because teams, team and team leadership is all about, a team is, like I mentioned earlier, they're interdependent, so you depend on each other to get your job done. Um, uh, And there's, I would say, groups that have to act as teams, but they're not real teams. And that's very different than being on a, on an actual team. You know, to me, um, teaming, we'll call it teaming. Teaming is possible, but you don't have to be a team to, to team, to do teaming, you know, if that makes sense. Teaming is like I show up to the courthouse gym, uh, the gym here, local gym, on Saturday, and I play pickup ball with a bunch of other guys. And we have to team that day to accomplish a goal, but we're not actually a team. Versus I'm on a basketball team. We practice. We play together. We're in our successes. In we're interdependent from on one from with one another. There's this there's this connection that you have to have, and there's even a culture and a hierarchy that's created and a structure that's created to work through things together. There's accountability involved versus when you're teaming together on a Saturday morning. It there's some of that, but it's not it's not the same. And personally, with Groundwork, what was hard for us in, when we were first growing was we were teaming, but we weren't a team. Everybody had different responsibilities. But we were all coming together for this really amazing purpose to grow this thing, but we, were, we weren't a real team. And the structure here in our organization at Mountain West wasn't conducive of people working in teams. Um, and so we, we had some growing pains because of that. So I learned firsthand that Gosh, there's a big difference between teaming and, and working in teams. Um, so I'll, I'll just give that example and let you you all kind of jump into it with whatever's on your mind when it comes to teams and team leadership. Well, not to, not to put you on the spot, but I'd actually like to ask Tamara about that because we've had some, I think, interesting conversations about what you're doing now in your new job. And it, I remember you were talking to me recently about I feel like, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like we were talking about, it was a little bit of breaking down silos and a little bit about how some folks would operate, like some of your teams that work with and for you operate very differently than some of the other teams. Am I getting that right? Yeah, so just not to speak in foreign tongue here, so just speak frankly, is just that we have teams that are culturally... Um, maybe not considered to be a profession by some. Others have more blue-collar. Others have a more professional realm where you go to school, get a degree, whatever. Um, And they were, I just, I'm new to my position. And so as I was 
thinking about how to put groundwork to work in our organization, really trying to help utilize, or help bring this new team of mine together as a team. And that has to start first within each of those silos. And to not have my own assumptions about anything, but to be curious about everything um, and to figure out what matters to them, what things do they like, what things that they wish they never had to do again, is there possibilities of doing it differently? Um, because I come with my own lens of life view. So I may say, I was, do you really, you know, I'd come in with this loaded question. Do you really like to work these weird hours? Instead of saying, tell me what you like about your job. What do you not like? Does that come up? Is it completely off the table because of past experience? So really it's kind of just opening those questions up and says, well, and if they're void of comments, what can I do, how do I ask that question respectfully and without judgment to know that that is open and available to speak their mind? There isn't going to be consequences for speaking their mind. doesn't mean that they still don't have to do their job. It's just I need to be able to understand what's important not only to the organization but to the people because in this workforce – I don't know about any, the rest of you, but we're having a hard time recruiting, keeping, uh, and just finding people to come and stay uh, within our group. And so it's been a real challenge. And I just really want people to be proud of what they do. And I think when people feel valued in their job, they feel heard and seen. They have a voice in, may not change, but they have a voice in the possibility of change. And it may be incremental and it may happen over longer periods of time. They feel like they have an opportunity to speak. And I've, you know, we say we have an open door, but do we have an open door? So how do you practice that? And sometimes that door means I have to cross their threshold, not mine. Yeah, that's uh, really insightful. You know, I'm thinking maybe, you know, perhaps part of the the ch the the challenge for leaders that are leading teams is when you're on a team, and I've been on lots of teams in my life, especially as growing up as a kid and being in, in athletics, where there's a, a stigma that you got to put the team first, right? And that's true. You got to put the team first, but it can develop the mentality that. The team's more important than you, and, and people feel like they're not appreciated or seen or heard. So perhaps that's the job of the leader is you want the team to be first, but the leader also needs to do what all the things that you just shared of, of taking the time to acknowledge the importance of the individual. Even though the team is vital and, and, our, and we have, we're interdependent, we have to do things together, what we accomplish as one is the goal, but the individuals on, on the team um, and acknowledging them and seeing them um, and listening to them, that's, that's probably the job of somebody who's leading a team. That is their job, right? I don't know, is that a fair claim to make? Absolutely, I think a couple of things based on that. I think, uh, first of all, if you ask people, you know, do you wanna be part of a winning team? They do, right? Um, people want to be part of a winning or successful team, and then they want to feel like they have made a valuable contribution to it, right? And so I think as a leader, really exploring, like, what is a valuable contribution that you can make based on whatever your unique experiences, talents, interests, abilities are, and then putting people in a position to use those, right, so that they can make a contribution that they care about to their team, um, making sure they're recognized for that contribution, making sure their other teammates understand, like, you know, it was Anthony that, that brought this to our team and just making sure that everybody has the chance to be 
recognized for their contributions. I think what happens when, if you're on a team and as an individual you feel like you can't win, right? Like I can't contribute or I can't win or, you know, I'm not valued on this team. I think people do one of two things. They leave and you're talking about retention, right? And that's not the worst thing. Um, the other is they stay, but they're mailing it in, right? Like just going through the motions, not actually making a contribution because for whatever reason they, they've decided that they can't, right? They've decided that they can't contribute. So they're there mailing it in. And then if we're using the framework, I think that's where your weeds start growing. And then that spreads and it affects the soil across, you know, the whole team and then other parts of the team. So I think as leaders, it's our job to really find out what people's unique contributions can be, position them so that they can utilize them on the team, make sure that they see that they've done that. Sometimes people are making amazing contributions and they don't even realize it because no one's really spotlighted that for them, uh, making sure other people see that. And then they can win as individuals, which they do need to do then make sure the team is positioned to win, you know, that they're firing on all cylinders, celebrating early successes or small successes. The team is winning. I don't know who doesn't want to be a contributing player on a winning team, right? I would stay and I would work out even harder, right? My pregame warm-up would just be intense if I'm a contributing player on a winning team. So I think those are the, the key pieces in terms of creating an actual positively interdependent team rather than a group of people working on a thing. And I would venture to guess if there, if there, when there are people who are disruptive of that winning environment, which we've all come across in our life in one place or another that it isn't be they're not getting fed <laughs> they're not getting what they need in order to really be able to participate in the way they want to and so you have to go back again to the person and really understand what their inner purpose I know I've had a conversation with a couple of employees over my career to say, are you really happy? You know, is this, does this really make your heart sing? Or do you, is this a hard day every day that you come? Because it's just, it's a struggle to do it. And they just like, I'm not sure. I says, well, then I need you to think about that because there's, we put too much time in our lives at work to not be happy, productive, fulfilled. And I, and I think in the two that I, I, in two cases, one left immediately, went to a totally different uh, career, and the other just needed something else. Um, I think it was an employment piece uh, for them, but those are scary conversations, especially now when you have like nobody on your field, you know, in your positions or yeah. few, and it's like you're inviting people to think about their career and, yeah. you know, what do you need to succeed? And maybe I can, if you want to go another direction and know people who may, you may want to talk to, it's, I think it's kind of like puts them, you pull this thing on this chair and you go way back. It's like, what are you talking about? You re it's not common. I mean, you say, <clears throat> you say scary, but I would say from an outsider, and I agree with you, it is, it can be, it can make you nervous as a leader, but as an outsider, just hearing you tell that it's very refreshing because just today, <clears throat> excuse me, just a couple hours ago, in fact, I talked to two friends at tech companies and both of them, I kid you not, I don't even know if the other knows this is happening. <laughs> they are both already working for another company and like I think full-time almost. I believe the other company knows that it's happening, but they're only sticking around because they're both in sales and the way that their payouts work, they're just waiting for that commission check before they make it official and take their second foot and move to the second company, move to the new company. And as a leader, I mean, if leaders don't think that kind of stuff is happening on 
<laughs> right underneath their noses, they're crazy. So taking the time to be honest with your teams and have candid conversations about their wellness and their career direction, just going back to what you said probably half an hour ago, you do things for people that you know have your best interest at heart. And I am exactly the same way. I think most people are. I think a lot of people are too scared to admit it. But you're willing to bend over backwards for those people. But if people don't have your interests at heart or they don't care, you really don't have time for them. And it's not – maybe they are a great person, but having that person-to-person -person discussion like you just said about how are they doing, that's really critical. And I work really – I work a lot harder for people that care about how I'm doing, like you just said. I mean, it's just – I just know that about myself, and I suspect a lot of other people are that way too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it goes back to what you said earlier. You you run through the wall for somebody that that you know you're loyal to. And, oh, and, Chris, I'm sorry. Yeah. I should have I should have mentioned those two salespeople. I didn't mention this yet. The reason they have a foot out the door is because they are not cared about. They they have that perception. That may have been obvious to everyone listening, but they both told me that that this company's going down the tubes. I'm I'm done with it. And none of that's true, by the way. Multi billion dollar company, plenty of benefits, plenty of money. But they don't feel valued, so they're they're out, and they're great salespeople. Sorry yeah. to interrupt. Well, no, that's a good point into the, what I was wanting to get to to kind of wrap up our conversation is that this idea of followership and team leadership is so it's they sound really basic, but I think we have to understand how difficult these things are because put it in perspective, um, I don't know the exact data points on all of these things, but majority of organizationals, new organizations, organizationals, <laughs> new organizations fail. Um, uh, I think it's like 70% of organizational change efforts fail. Um, if you, even if you look in the world of athletics, sorry to always use athletic analogies, but, but only one team is the champion, right? And, and, and so it's very hard. Think, think of it this way. Um, I was talking to, I, I, I know a few, uh, I'm privileged to know a few professional athletes, so I get their perspective in their world. But think about it this way is you have the best people in the world, um, doing something, right? Let's say, uh, it's, it's, uh, the NBA, you have the best people in the world at that thing, right? There's not a lot of them. They're the best in the world. Right. It's like imagine an education or whatever the industry we're in. You have the best people in the world at that thing. And they still cannot come together as teams to figure it out. Right. And you have you should have the best coaches in the world, the leaders of these teams run, leading these individuals, but they still can't seem to figure it out. Just today, I bet you saw the Washington Commanders, the the worst teams in the NFL to work for, just got ranked by the Wall Street Journal, and the Washington Commanders, in three of like seven categories of being happy, got an F. And this is the NFL. Yeah. So, so I'm <laughs> I'm only using this as a contrast of these are the supposed to be the best of the best, but they still fail over and over again at being successful teams, and 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 leaders fail all the time. Um, and it's amazing because that's they're supposed to be the best in in the world, right? And so it's this is not easy. None of this stuff is easy, right? But it comes back to what you all said of you know it, you know it when you see it or feel it because you you will you will run through a wall for those individuals. You will do anything for them. And I'm going to use this example tomorrow before the panel, so I'll give you a little forecast. But at uh, when I was at uh, my last place of, of work before moving here, um, uh, one of our facilitators was a former um, Navy SEAL and uh, shared stories about um, what it was like when they were in the training, the buds, and then he was an instructor there. And he said, you know, you can't always tell when, like, who's going to, to quit people quit all the time and you have to go and it's kind of like humiliating. You got to go put your helmet down at the pole and ring the bell. And you know, it's like basically tell everybody I quit or I can't do this anymore. And it's, it's, it's the Navy SEALs are one of the most successful organizations in the world. And it also is one of the hardest things to qualify for to actually do it. Right. So technically you should get the best of the best in this program. Right. And, uh, 
and this is their process, right? People are quitting all the time and they're, they're training. And so he said, you can't always tell when somebody's um, going to quit, but you can tell the, the sort of people that are going to make it through. And he said, you know, these people are exhausted. They're, they're pushed their limits physically, mentally, emotionally, but the people that make it. And he said when he was an instructor there, he got to the point where you could, you could see it. And you're like that, that person, they're going to make it all the way through is because even when they're pushed to the extremes of exhaustion in every for, in every facet of their life, they still are able to dig deep enough to care about the person next to them. And, uh, those are the ones that make it. They're not always the biggest, toughest, strongest, most athletic, most charismatic person out there, but that's what they're able to do. They're able to dig deep enough and see past all the exhaustion and care about the person next to them. And, um, for them, it's a it's a requirement because you're going to go and do really high classified things, and if you can't care about the person next to you, then you're going to fail at your mission, and so it's a it's essential. And I'm fascinated with that idea because another topic we're going to talk about tomorrow in our recap, our curriculum recap, is seeing people, and and I think that is directly connected to team leadership and to followership. Is that if there was a secret ingredient, it is. It is that, you know, you think of going, I hate to always go back to sports. So sorry for sports haters that are listening, but you look at any great dynasty, right? Um, people that have found success over and over and over again in the athletic world. Um, there's always little, little nuggets of, of that, right? They might not say, well, what we do is we just see each other as people. <laughs> like they're not going to say that, but Greg Popov- uh, Popovich for the Spurs, one of the most winningest teams in, in NBA, um, uh, where they just consistently win um, and have teams and players that want to stay there forever. They don't want to just up and leave like we were talking about. You know, he he said that he wants players that are over themselves, right? And so there, there's little nuggets of people have figured this out, right? I mean, that example from the Navy SEALs, like people have figured this out, but still, <laughs> it's so hard to implement, <laughs> right? So to close, what what have you all found in your leadership overseeing teams, working with others, you know, having followers. What have you found to help consistently plant that seed of being over yourself, caring about the people next to you, seeing people? What have you figured out? What's your nugget? For me, I, I do a lot of prayer and self-talk, <laughs> uh, especially on the hard stuff. Today I had to deal deal with some hard stuff, and that's exactly where I had to go. Mm-hmm. And just make sure the people that we're dealing with, excuse me, make sure the people that we deal with know that we care about them no matter what. So enough said. Thank you. In addition to, I think, just keeping the spotlight on the mission, vision, values, like staying rooted in that and then giving people the chance to contribute in ways that are meaningful to them uh, so that they're making the type of contribution that that they feel like um, adds value to them and to the mission. Uh, For me, I I don't worry when people decide to move on to a different opportunity because I I think of every single hire as an opportunity. Like I'm going to hire, I'm going to bring a new person onto this team and they're going to have something to contribute um, and they're going to add value in a way that I haven't even thought of yet. So for me, um, one of our mantras is hiring is everything. So every single hire is an opportunity and then learning from past mistakes, um, underestimating the importance of onboarding. Learned, learned from that, um, the way that we onboard people onto our team can really keep the mission and vision in focus for the, the existing members of the team and then can inspire and paint that picture for the newest members. And when you do that, you get to interact with people over why they're there and what they're hoping to do. And then later, if their enthusiasm seems to be waning for some reason, you can come back to that, you know, hey, I know how excited you were about this mission and your role in it is it different you know what's different than you thought what's you know are there more barriers than you realized you can have those conversations earlier 
So they're not in a situation where they're pretending to still work for a company and they're really literally full time somewhere else, right? You can intervene before that based on the work you've done with the hire and the onboarding itself. Um, so those are, I think, kind of my big, my big few. Can't, cannot agree more on the importance of onboarding. How you onboard somebody sets the tone for the rest of their time at that organization. That is such an important thing. Um, and I would just say my my one thought that I think relates to both Tamara and Rhonda's thoughts are um, my, I have a, I have a, I, I don't know if you'd call it an analogy, but I have this visual that to me represents people. All of us are a you know, just one of those styrofoam cups, like eight ounces that you get for coffee or hot chocolate or whatever, one of those white styrofoam cups. All of us are a styrofoam cup with a hole poked in the bottom. We're all just, we're all just slowly draining every day. And some people take time to refill their cup and some people don't. The reason I see people as that analogy is because everybody needs to be replenished at some point. And you cannot assume as a leader that what you did yesterday or the week before is going to be enough for that person today. So to your point about, uh, just going back to what Tamara was saying about having those conversations. I mean, somebody's career development today and how they feel today may not be how they felt a year ago. Their family situation may have changed. Their financial situation may have changed. So taking time to, in groundwork terms, you know, work the soil and to take time with people in a significant and meaningful way um, to take time to talk about them, it's really important because people are all cups slowly draining. And if you don't take that time, they might drain and they might leave or whatever, you know? So I think that's, that's my final thought is that's what people are to me. And I think we got to take that time. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite, um, uh, leaders, once said something along the lines of we have to not we have to stop filling people's this, I, I don't mean to go against your analogy because i love it but i'm just adding a new layer onto it he said we have to stop filling people's cups and we have to light a fire within them yeah um this is a difference than having a full cup versus a fire's been lit right um so appreciate everything you've shared. I hope that you share some of these things tomorrow on the panel, um, because uh, we're gonna they 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 will have already talked about seeing people. Uh, to your point, that we have to care about individuals, right? And one of their topics in the morning is also hiring and recruiting, <laughs> recruiting and onboarding. And uh, so your comment will connect back to things that that they've already been learning and. Um, so please, you know, I hope I hope this has been helpful in your thinking. It's certainly added value to our our uh, institute of knowledge that we're we're gaining in our small corner of the world. Um, I so I appreciate each of your your insight and you sharing. This has been fun to discuss this, and um, I always wish we had more time, but you know, we can't go for for hours here. Rexel, <laughs> Rexel, run out of storage. <laughs> uh but thank you uh for for joining me today uh yeah absolutely appreciate it it's a fun reunion it's good yeah. to see everybody <laughs> definitely <laughs> and uh listeners thanks for tuning in i hope that there was plenty that you uh have been able to pull from this um and until next time everybody be safe and take care